Hi, and welcome to our Rooted In podcast. I'm Rita Savasco, and today I'm talking to Jody Weber. Jody works with the Center for Latino Achievement and Success in Education through the University of Georgia. Better than that, she and I have been friends and colleagues for um, my whole life because um, Jody also is my sister. So Jody lives in Athens, Georgia, and she's here today to um, for us to talk about some of the things we always talk about, which are some of the best ideas in education out there. My degree was special ed in elementary education. Um, but I taught primarily students with emotional behavior disorders in high school and elementary and then moved towards administration and so was an assistant principal for many years and then a principal in a variety of school districts in the state of Georgia uh, for, for many years. After 32 years of all of that, I retired and had the opportunity to work at the University of Georgia involved with a research grant looking at a, a pedagogy or a, a way of teaching, a method of teaching called instructional conversations, where you're really giving the teacher the skills to open the space for children to talk to each other as a way of developing stronger content understanding. So be it math or reading or science and social studies, when the kids are doing the talking, not only can the teacher figure out maybe what they're not understanding, but also the children's understanding is stronger and deeper. So it's through that work, which of course has had multiple parallels and intersections with the work you do, Rita, which has been really exciting. Well, and, you know, as a language therapist, it just um, lights my fire to have this, um, uh, word out, you know, people out there teaching others that what a difference it makes when we're learning information, when we have to take that information and run it through our own language system, you know, not only our listening system, but to actually, actually have to form, now I can't do it myself, actually have to formulate <laughs> a thought um, and actually put together what is that I'm hearing? What does that mean to me? And when we do that, um, when we do verbalize or express an idea in writing, um, we really uh, gather that information in a way and solidify that information in a way that doesn't always happen when you are just a listener. It can happen exactly. over time, I think, as kids get to be proficient note takers, and we, there is some research out there about writing notes and synthesizing information that way, but most kids, that's, that's a learned process over time. So this idea of educating through conversation just really um, excited me when Jody first started working doing this. And kind of to follow up with what you're saying, in particular when kids are young or while they are still learning things, uh, we find it's really important for them to do that talking out loud. And as you're saying, with each other and 
having to synthesize and organize their own thoughts to be able to say it out loud in a comprehensible way and then give feedback on what others think about that, et cetera. But that then in time, after they learn how to do that, then they can internalize that process and do that note-taking and ask themselves questions and reflect on ideas. And it all can happen inside their head. Um, we think the mistake is that we assume children are born knowing how to do that. Right. Or we can just tell them, well, ask yourself these questions. But not understanding there's, there's a lot of work that in between those two things. Right. Well, and I think... So yes, yes, and yes. Yes, <laughs> and even for adults, when you are learning something new, that's the other part we forget. Yes. A lot of this information is so new. And when you're learning something new and you have to verbalize it, you do have to go to another level than you did when it was all in your head. And I think we've all experienced that. Like if you listen to a news report, for example, and then you go home to tell your spouse, oh, I heard something interesting on the news today. I do this so many times. I'm in the middle of trying to explain and I realize there is this whole depth of information I did not know. And now I'm having trouble actually yeah. expressing. I was listening. I was actively listening. I even spent time thinking about it. But it wasn't until I had to verbalize that I actually realized, hey, wait a minute. I don't know this as well as I thought I knew it. And that often is revealed through questions. So if your spouse asks you a question about a follow-up with what you just said from that news story and you're left with, huh, you know, I'm not sure they didn't mention that or they didn't talk or I'm thinking maybe this. I mean, it's that dialogue that comes back and forth. So it's not you just standing in front of an audience speaking. There's this push and pull from the conversation. Right. And that's really the beautiful part. Right. Right. That can be hard to duplicate. It's hard to take time for. Mm -hmm. Um in my case, because I work with um, primarily students who struggle, they may have difficulty with conversations. Um, or, uh, right. you know, of course, we always talk about the difficulty with their reading and writing skills. So um, it's not always easy to do. So coming up with strategies to, to um, improve and and not improve the conversations but also really facilitate and support a conversation that's part of what your work is about exactly exactly and so my work is you know as you've said in the public sector so we're looking at in regular classrooms or what we call general ed general education classrooms um, how the teacher can create a small group and give students the skills, give them understand that each one of us have conversation goals. And so for an example, mine is, is that I tend to interrupt. And I don't interrupt because I want to be rude. There are two reasons that I've identified for myself 
that make me interrupt. One is I'm excited about what's being said and I'm just wanting to jump in and be part of it. The other is that I'm afraid I'm gonna forget. And, and what my, my colleague and I, Dr. Paula Mellum, she, her conversation challenge is that she talks too much. <laughs> when she gets going, she just doesn't have a, 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 a pause because she knows lots and she has lots that she wants to say about it. And so we have learned, so, so of course, my goal, because my challenge is interrupting, my goal is to allow other people to complete their thoughts. Paula's challenge is that she talks too much, so her goal is to invite others into the conversation and to build off their ideas. So we have kind of established this little process where when she's talking, if an, an idea comes through my head, I lift a finger. It alerts her that I have something I wanna say, um, and she, it also, she can help me if by the time I get to it, I've forgotten what I was going to say. She can like, oh, I was talking about this and I can go, oh yeah, you know, and add to it. Um, so with children, we're doing that same thing. We're, we're helping them to recognize what their challenge is and to set a goal for that. So when we're teaching math, science, reading, whatever, we are layering on listening and speaking and you know it's interesting this is a good place for us to start in our conversation actually I think um, what these conversation goals so I mean we it's interesting because we have some family cultured background to our uh, conversational <laughs> styles and Deborah Tannen wrote a book I think like in 1990 or something yes. you just don't understand I love that book and one of the things she kind of goes into this some of the family culture uh, influences on conversation and she goes into gender influences on conversation gender habits but um, she one of the things she talks about are these high interrupters and uh, uh -huh. Jody and I were both raised in an Italian family where um, it, I mean, it's just insane. It's insanity. Um, so many of our aunts and uncles have now passed away. But when we were young, um, you would be sitting at a table and it is not unusual to have three people talking to you at one time, three separate conversations, all of them not stopping. They can hear each other talking, but they didn't even stop, you know, and our parents would do that um, as well. Or so many times I would be saying to my parent, wait, He's talking to me, and I will come back to this conversation, but I need to hear this one first, um, that we were actually spending a lot of time managing this um, while simultaneously picking up all the same habits, too. So I'm a high interrupter as well. Right. So then the challenge for, for all of us is to not – just do what I used to do, and that's to say, oh, sorry, I interrupt. It's what I do. I just interrupt. <laughs> but instead, to take responsibility for that. <laughs> that's the hard part. Right. Like, and, and so I'm really going to work at it. And, and I, it's not that I don't interrupt any longer. And conversation has a give and take, right? So good conversation, natural conversation, you are naturally talking over each other and building off each other, et cetera. But if all of us are working 
at the best way to be communicators, it lifts it for everyone. And um, that is another thing that Deborah Tannen talked about is that females have uh, this tendency, and again, these are generalizations, so try not to be you know, bothered if it doesn't fit your world, but um, that females have a tendency to do a lot of like nodding, I know, you know, interjecting that we interject a lot and that's our way of saying I'm with you I'm sharing this conversation and so you know like with my husband when I would do that kind of interjecting early in our relationship he would be distracted by it and frustrated feeling that I was interrupting him and he would say I'm not done and I'd say I know that I'm not interrupting you and he'd say yes you are and I'm like no I'm not you know and there we are off Am I interrupting or am I not? And I saw a lot of that interjecting as just support. And likewise, I thought right. he wasn't interjecting. He wasn't listening to me anymore. And he'd be like, I'm here. Right. I'm listening, you know? And, and uh, so, so Which I think. could be the case. Let me <laughs> just say. <laughs> Especially knowing him. No, I'm just um, saying. <laughs> But no, um, no, no, in my own is what I'm thinking. <laughs> we know each other's husbands, so you know. Um, <laughs> exactly. But there are people who their conversational style may be that they allow the conversation to occur around them and they don't join in when they right. do it. And so, why don't you talk about that challenge? Right. We also have um, kind of, we've kind of identified just some classic sort of uh, conversation challenges. There is the interrupter. There is the one who talks too much. Um, there is the person, though, who doesn't contribute. And um, sometimes it is just that they need more wait time before they're ready to contribute. And sometimes it's that um, they're just not comfortable contributing. They don't have confidence or, or they're sort of shy or whatever. But again, it's not, a, it's not a good place for them to remain for the rest of their lives. Like it's, it's one of those things that we want to help encourage and help to build some confidence in. So their goal then would be to make a contribution. And one of the strategies um, that we've had teachers use that have been effective for some kids is, uh, for example, little post-it notes that maybe a yellow post-it note represents a contribution and blue post-it notes represent questions. And they get you know one yellow and three blue. And as they ask a question or make a contribution, they move their post-it note forward. So it gives them a very quick visualization of um, are they contributing? And, and, oh, I haven't asked a question. I need to look for a space to ask a question. Um, others, well, I guess a, not others, but an equally important component to it is that everyone in the group is responsible for everyone's goals. So um, if mine is, for example, interrupting and I've interrupted, then you might say to me, Jody, 
I'm sorry you just interrupted me, and I know that's something you're working on, but please allow me to complete my thought. Or for the person who doesn't contribute, I might say, Rita, we haven't heard from you. What are you thinking? So I've now invited you into the conversation because I know that's something you're working on and you need some help. So everyone is taking responsibility for the, the quality of the conversation that's happening. And again, all of this is happening while you're teaching math science, social studies, whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, um, so I work with a lot of home educators and it happens in your home. I mean, this was a big part of uh, the, the management of home educating and even went without being a home educator just at the dinner table. Um, and I think when you have <laughs> dynamics going on, it can be really tricky because you also have age differences mm -hmm. So you had talked a little bit about this speed of processing and speed of response time. Some of that is innate. You know, it's, it's I have come to this world as a fast processor. And I am quickly that loop uh, of what I want to say gets developed right away, right? Which doesn't mean that what comes out of my mouth is always worthwhile. It just means the loop is fast, right? Sure. Uh, as opposed to... Um, my husband's pretty fast too, but he likes to think about things more. And then you see that same thing in my children. I have some who are faster processors, some who want more time. And then also on top of it all, when you have these maturity differences, um, who has stronger verbal mm -hmm. skills just based on age, then you have that problem too, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's something mm -hmm. that is a dynamic that we address in a lot of different environments. As a parent, our verbal skills, for a while at least, are superior to our children's, so we can run them into the ground if we don't give them time to say what they need to say. You know, so I think that it, it crosses a lot of different relationships and there are skills that, you know, we all need to learn. I wanted to go back um, to the one who talks too much. May I make a point? Yes. Can I, can I make a follow-up and see, this is something I still interrupt, only now I call it interjecting. Yeah. If I may works. interject. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want you to. Um, just just to follow up with what you're saying there about the slow processor and the fast processor, one of the, uh, again, beautiful things that we have seen happen in classrooms is once there is a recognition of that very thing and it's no longer identified as you're the smart one because you come up with an answer quickly and you're not as smart because it takes you more time teachers have helped to frame up for the other children that a person who is quiet is thinking. They're a deep thinker and they want more time because they're still thinking deeply about that. And then we hear children say things like, Rita, what do you think about that? And Rita doesn't respond right away and they will say, She's still thinking about it. She likes to think about things before she answers. So just that little shift is huge. It, it is creates huge. a 
safer environment for all children. And it allows that quiet one or that slower processor to not freeze with the anxiety of they're all staring at me waiting for an answer. But instead, no, my friends are giving me this space and I can take it. It helps the talkative person learn to be comfortable with, with uh, blank airtime, right? Because that was one of the things yes. I used to work on with my kids. You know, just because there's silence for a minute doesn't mean it needs to be filled. Let people have time to have their right. thoughts. And, you know, we'd have a guest over for dinner and it'd be like a competition who could talk. And if you had a quiet guest, I would have to try to teach them how to give that person time. And, um, and, and bringing that back to the classroom, they have found that researchers have found that when questioning children, giving them time before allowing for, much less requiring a response, increases motivation and engagement. So not only do you get better ideas and better, but it really does motivate and help people really get into the work and the thinking. So I would venture to say that, you know, even in a one-on-one -on -one setting for a parent sitting with their child, you know, it's not the driving to the correct answer and spit it out fast, but it's that space in between that is so critical. Mm -hmm. And um, the value of coming back to conversations. I think, um, you know, allowing, it's interesting because this, happens in the classroom, it happens at home, it happens in marriages, it happens, you know, everywhere. Um, you know, one of the things in marriage right. ministry that we do, we talk about is when you're in a discussion, it doesn't always have to be a heated one, but certainly good if you are in a heated one, um, to call a time right. out and reschedule when you're going to come back and talk about it. Because what you ask oh. today, 24 hours later, um, is different than what might come out of your mouth right at that moment. It might be more true to what you actually think than what you may be feeling in that moment. Um, and you and you then throw in social media. Yeah, <laughs> you know, text each other and see what happens. Yeah, you know? right. It's too immediate. Right. Yeah. Um, as opposed to when you yeah. wrote a letter, it took time to write maybe and maybe you did some of that more thinking. Um, I think it's interesting that as a society, we tend to always reward the fast processor, highly verbal. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like you see more and more um, just, you know, general articles um, starting to look to value the introvert the one who wants time to come up with an answer. And, and I think you're right. I think you have to teach kids that value system. And we as the adults need to <clears throat> not just allow for it, but build the space for it. Maybe before engaging in a group project, that there is time with paper and pencil and a timer set where everyone is thinking and planning and mapping out ideas for themselves at whatever rate 
and then coming together. But again, these structures have to be in place because children aren't born knowing how to do this and nothing about the traditional educational environment really teaches this. There has to be that the teacher um, takes time. We, we start from the very beginning before goal setting, conversation goal setting with norm setting. So what about small group has shut you down is a classic place that we start. And we have, whether it's the adults we're working with or kids, write down everything on one side of a T-chart, everything that has shut you down about being in a, a group or a conversation or whatever. And then what are we going to agree to to help make all of that better? And a classic one that comes regardless of the age um, is some version of assume goodwill. Yeah. Don't assume when you hear me say something, don't assume that I'm being whatever, like ask some more questions. Tell me more about your thinking. I'm not mm -hmm. sure I understand what you meant. Can you say that again to me differently? Whatever it is. But um, all of that is necessary for what we call creating a safe environment. Mm -hmm. And then we add in what is your personal conversation goal. And then once you know that I'm an interrupter, it helps you to assume goodwill about me. Right. You know, when I do that, yes. like it's one of those things I'm working on. Yeah, I once, when I was in my 20s, you know, and of course that was when I kind of was out in the world realizing not everyone was operating like my family, right? Um, <clears throat> uh -huh. That uh -huh. I, we had met this couple and I could tell the guy just really was annoyed by me. And, um, and you know, I'm. We didn't like him anyway, did we? <laughs> no, we did. I liked him, and and oh, dear, dear. I, I can tell that he was annoyed by me. You know, I'm kind of a Labrador. Like I like everybody. I just assume they're all going to like me, and when they don't, I'm like, why don't you like me? You know, that right. kind of thing. And so, right. um, I just, but I'm also kind of forward, and so I said, you know, I feel like I annoy you, and I can tell that it's true, and I don't know why. And I would like to know because, you know, I enjoy your wife, we're friends, you know, I like you, I don't know where I'm going wrong here. And I have to give him credit, he was able to have an honest conversation with me and what he said is, I know you're a nice person and I like you and everything, but you interrupt me. You interrupt too much and it really annoys me. And I was so shocked because I never really had anyone just say that to me. I was very grateful because I was clueless. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, because, you know, in our family, you just, if someone took your place in a conversation, you just talked over them and won, you know? <laughs> right. You know, that's kind of right. how it went. And, right. and it was also acceptable because it was so right. formal. Um, and I just thought, wow, I, I did not mean to be um taking over or it wasn't that I was being arrogant you know in my intentions my intentions were good but my behavior was not good and I really needed to work on that right so, so we had a cue when yeah, I awesome you know, yeah so you know I yeah think yeah I'm and so like when you think about the people who don't have the confidence or the ability to say, I can tell there's something about me that's bothering you. Or 
the confidence or the skill to say, you know, you seem like a really nice person, but it bothers me that you interrupt. You know, there are so many times we clash into each other um, and we don't have the insight or the skill to kind of deal with it. And then to bring all of this back to instruction, because we're not born with all of that. There are plenty of examples of adults who don't possess it, et cetera, mm -hmm. right. and then be a child. And we're throwing them into these groups and we're asking them to work together cooperatively. Yeah, right. And um, then we're shocked when it doesn't work, you know, or what's wrong with them, or who's their mama, or, you know, yeah, whatever right. it is. But we have to teach them that has to be part of instruction. And then the beauty to it is there's deeper learning. Right. There's deeper understanding that comes through the very act of having that conversation and collaborating verbally together, as well as um, a big part of our work also, as you know, is something that we call a joint productive activity. So what, what our research has shown is that while having a uh, collaborative conversation is important and matters instructionally when it's around something that they are working on and building together sure. that's where the conversation mm -hmm. goes much deeper and misconceptions are revealed you can tell what it so it might be that they're working on one math problem together and they're having to show their work in pictures words and numbers but they have to have a conversation about that and agree on it as they work well from that you find out who really understands who just gets the right answer but doesn't really have the conceptual understanding and that little quiet one who never speaks out, who it turns out knows all kinds of things, yes, you, you right. know, like that's where the magic happens. Right. I can see that. And, you know, it's interesting because um, something I wanted to get to about the quiet one is that um, there can be a lot of reasons for that, as you mentioned, one being confidence, one mm -hmm. being they, mm -hmm. they may just not know how to enter the stream. They had something to say, mm -hmm. but the opportunity didn't come up in a way that they felt comfortable. Um, sometimes they just see themselves as the one who just, you know, almost like, well, you all can talk here and I, I don't need to do that because I kind of have my own thoughts and I'm okay with that, right? Um, mm -hmm. They kind of don't realize people would like to hear what they have to say. And, and mm -hmm. something else I find is if they don't have confidence, a lot of kids will think, well, there's some answer here, and the one I have isn't it. When actually what mm -hmm. they have is a value. Um, mm -hmm. and, they, and it isn't the answer. It's the conversation. It's the process of getting to ideas. That's really what we're after. Mm -hmm. And so helping them to see that whatever that fleeting thought was that they disregarded as not worth saying actually had value and it's one of the reasons with my students that I try to um, get to these little bits and pieces of writing that we've talked about and get them to put some ideas on mm -hmm. post-it notes because 
if they have, say, three post-it notes there, and I'm looking for them to give me three comments, three ideas, three contributions, then mm -hmm. I've valued each one, right? Each one had value, mm -hmm. and they can see visibly that had value, that was worth saying. And sometimes I think it's like you're talking about, about um, you want a joint activity, and that joint activity could be written, too, not just conversational. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes oh, absolutely. getting it in writing gives it weight in a way that, um, that they might not have seen. And it gives the, the fast processor um, a reason to look more carefully at what that person said, too, because it's on paper. So instead of just, you know, you're in a group conversation and this little one pipes in over here and the, and the other one's still talking and disregarded what was said. Now their little piece of paper is added too. And that piece of paper has as much value as my piece of paper. And this is where, as you and I have talked over the last couple years and, and I've gained a stronger understanding of your work, that um, I've said how we have this like Venn diagram you know, of our work. So what you were just talking about there is our joint productive activity. Mm -hmm. Because another key piece besides the creation of a product, which can happen in all kinds of ways. It can happen as a T-chart. It can happen as post-it notes on something. It can mm -hmm. happen through a document that's being written. It can be a math problem. It can be a timeline. It can be whatever. But whatever it is, they're producing something in some form. It's not just talking. Mm -hmm. The talking happens around that production. But the other thing that's really critical for our work is that the best joint productive activities, or JPAs, happen around something that doesn't have one simple right answer. Right. That there are multiple good answers. And so it builds um, upon the, the strength of, of thinking. And, and multiple thoughts and multiple ideas and not shutting down something, but instead leaving a space and seeing what happens with it and continuing to, to develop it further. One is it, it made me think about the podcast that I was listening to where Claire was sharing her plot arc and kids putting post-it notes on as, as the ideas of the story, you know, reach the climax and et cetera. You know, that's a, for us, a classic example of a joint productive activity. Only for us, it wouldn't be just one person doing it, it or the, the parent and the, the child doing it. It would be a small group, and by that we mean three to seven with the teacher right there to help guide, facilitate, and not allow for misconceptions, you know, but, but jumping in where, but there's not one right answer, you know, and, and as uh, you spoke of in that podcast, you know, there can be multiple small climaxes to the story. Different things can impact different characters in different ways. So that child who immediately goes to, well, obviously it's this, it allows that space of, is it? What, what about this? 
makes me wonder about that. You know, could it be this? One of the things that we do uh, as a very simple entry into this idea is the which one doesn't belong. And you can go, you can just Google which one doesn't belong and images and you can see a whole variety of them. So for example, it might be um, four pumpkins is an example that we often use. And one pumpkin, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that one doesn't belong because it's lit and it's the only one that's lit. But then you might say, what if I told you this one? Oh, well, it has leaves on it and the other ones don't have any leaves. And what if I told you it's this one? Oh, well, that one's smooth and the other one's all. So you can, you can keep going. There's no one right answer. There can be lots of, of uh, reasons given for which one doesn't belong. So you're opening a space, a safe space, for kids to recognize that we are not going for, you know, two plus two is four. Like, mm -hmm. that yeah, is one answer. Right. That has one answer. And you cannot have a deep, rich conversation about that. You know, you can, like, look at all the different ways to create four, you know, mm -hmm. and there are multiple, but two plus two equals four. So that's an example of, again, where our space, our work intersects is everything about what you do opens up this space for kids to explore their thinking. Right, and which is what- beautiful, Rita. It's just beautiful what you do. Well, it's what education really is, right? Yes. It's yes. really about thinking. Um, and we'll talk about this more later, the learning how to learn, then it is um, what the answer is, you know? So what I liked when you first told me that you were doing um, training for teachers on classroom group work, I mean, you might remember this. My first response was, well, my kids hated. Yeah. I can't tell you all my, all my clients, my own children, they like yeah. hate group work. They just despise yeah. it. Yeah, they didn't mind it if they could like pick their group or something and right, they have right. people, you know, right. But they, they just hated it for a number of reasons that we could right. spend an hour on and we're not going to. What I liked about what this is, is it's not the same. Right. Not saying, um, well, I'm putting you with you because you know the right answer and you don't. And now you'll help um, make sure everyone gets to the right answer or. I'm throwing you all together. None of you know the answer. You're never going to know what it is <laughs> anyway. And <laughs> but good luck. <laughs> I'm going to give you all grades based on the whole group. And you get to rate each other. So if you don't like this person, you can, what? oh my gosh, you know, what a mess. Yep. And, and so you're asking kids to manage the dynamics of group relationships that even as adults, we can't manage, right? Right. So... Uh, that I think is what was being rejected. This is different. It is. This is about um, learning and right. learning how to learn and right. learning how to share ideas. Right. And that the value is the process. A product is needed in part to give reason for the process. Exactly. Um, and because real learning happens in the midst of that, but the real learning is the process more right. than anything. So, and you know, if you look at the kinds of challenges that our children 
So our children range, mine's 30 years. My youngest is 21. So 21, okay. Yeah. So go in range from 30 to 21 between our five kids, between us. So if you look at what has <laughs> been required of them in college and now in their careers or in graduate school or whatever, they have had to manage to negotiate all kinds of people and all kinds of settings. And in their and personal relationships too. Let's right now. But it's clear that they're going to have to have the ability to collaborate and build off the thinking of others. You know, it's not assembly line work kind of stuff. You know, it's it's this broader kind of kind of thinking. Um, and so how do we give them those skills? You know, we have, we have to teach them. We have to actively teach them that. And then the beauty is that they actually learn content better and more deeply. Right. Through and, that. So it's like. In a way they enjoy, which is what. Exactly. Which increases motivation and engagement. Right. Thank you for listening to the Rooted In podcast. For more information, products, and resources, visit rootedinlanguage.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram, and like our Facebook page.